Welcome to a new episode of Randomly Typed. This is a follow-up on our previous episode on a halting problem. I'm JS. My name is Lance, and JS <laughs> said it perfectly right. This is a follow-up. It is a different uh, episode. We're going to be talking about a different but related topic. Before we go into the real subject, last week I said things that was I was like, yeah, please don't quote me on this, and I was right. Please don't quote me on this because it was all wrong. So, so you outright lied. To yes, exactly. All of your intended audience. Yes, I didn't know what I was talking about. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's like but... a completing insanity Ex- or a murder or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I murdered the truth, but now I'm here to bring it back. Perfect. So I said that the next language or the Ethereum language called Solidity might be decidable, but that was a lie. I look into those and they're, they're kind of interesting, but not decidable. One thing that the Solidity language has, which is really interesting, is that by default, there's an amount of gas that you pay for your script. And if it runs out of, of gas, which goes lower every time you execute something, when you reach zero, your script is killed and the money you paid is still owned by the workers. It's not decidable, but there's a limit to how long you can run. It's tied to some finite resource. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Interesting. It's, I mean, it's one way to solve it. Exactly. Other people solve it with just like thresholds, like a threshold of time after a certain amount of execution time that just kill it. Right? Yeah. Well, it's comparable. Yeah. All right. What's the real subject today? So today we're going to be talking about girdles. Incompleteness theorem. I say girdle because I don't know how to say the actual way, and it's not Godel. I would say Godel, but hey. I know, I would say Godel too, but I just can't pronounce a real person's name. So I, I, from the internet, I assume it's Girdle. Okay. But please forgive me if I let a Godel slip. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be honest, I tried to read the Wikipedia article, and I think I passed out after two minutes. This one's a dense one, yeah. Um, I find it. It's, it's dense because it's very, very mathy, but it touches upon something that's super interesting and that we can all relate to. I'm going to be talking about Gödel's incompleteness theorems. So to start off, let's just talk about the nature of truth, of things that are true in our universe. Yeah, the worst questions are the most interesting ones. I'm not sure. So JS, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know about Fermat's, Fermat's last theorem? I know the name of the guy, and that's pretty much it. So it's a problem, and it's stated as such. It's not a particularly, I mean, it is an interesting problem in itself, uh, but it's not something that like any random bystander would know off the top of their head. Uh, but what it states is that no three positive integers, A, B, C, can satisfy this equation, which is A to the N plus B to the N is equal to C to the N, and N is any number greater than two. They say, huh. no equation will ever solve that. Okay, sure. So for the longest time, this seemed to be true. Like, we were unable to prove it. There was no actual proof of it. But we tried a bunch of, it, like, all the integers, and we never came up with something. Okay. So, but so today, I, do we have a proof that it's actually right? So today, we did. We do. It was encountered 400 years after the original problem, though. Only in 1995 did someone submit a proof for this, but it took that long, right? And in the meantime, we thought it was true, but it was very, very hard to prove. Uh, So there's another problem called the Goldbach conjecture. So this states that 
every even integer can be expressed as the sum of two primes. Okay, say that again. Every even integer, okay. like six, can be the sum of two primes. All right, okay, that makes sense. Uh, does this seem true? Like To me, it seems true. Right. Because it's always like two and like the half of the value. So this seems true. We actually manually tested all integers what do you mean up all to integer? okay. <laughs> 10 to the 18. So we tried for up to 10 to the 18, which is enormous, right? And yeah. this seems to hold true, but there's no proof of it. No one's ever been able to prove it. Oh, that's interesting. And it's the simplest thing. Do you think it's going to be like a Fermat's last theorem situation where it's just going to, someone will eventually, given the right proof and the right amount of effort, will be able to I'm prove it? I'm sure at some point, but I don't, so it seems so simple. I don't understand why we are not able to prove it. Right, but you said it seems it seems like it, right? Like we should be able yeah. to prove this, right? Okay. So uh, for most of history, people believed this, that any true statement that can be expressed in the universe, in our system as we know it, will have a proof to it. Like there exists a proof to this if you just tried hard enough to find it or were clever enough to find it. But uh, last week we introduced David Hilbert, who was a very famous mathematician, and towards the beginning of the 20th century, he started asking some questions because a lot of axioms we were using, some systems that we were using in mathematics relied on some core axioms that weren't necessarily proven. We just kind of took them as face value because they seem true, but we can't prove them. He asked three questions. Is mathematics consistent in that there are no contradictions between statements? Is mathematics complete in that every true statement can be derived and represented by our system? And is mathematics decidable in that every theorem, every statement can be proved in a finite amount of time? So last week we learned that it's not. It is not decidable. Uh, but we didn't say anything about whether it's consistent or complete. And today we'll explore those two and see how they're actually both very much intertwined. They're not two separate questions. They're two sides of the same coin. I have a random quote here. I don't know if it's a quote, it's just a saying. The saying is, the best way to get happiness is to give it to others. Sure. That's a, that's a nice thought, right? Yeah. But, okay, sure. What's the relation with what we're doing right now? So let, let, think about that. It's not like makes sense from a, from like a statement standpoint. That was a statement, which is a true, has a true or false value, right? Nah, I wouldn't say it's true or false. It's like philosophy. It's not necessarily right or wrong. Right. So it's a statement and it's true or false. But they call these verbal paradoxes because, I mean, like, if you get happiness, the best way to get it is to give it, which is a contradiction, right? Or it's just sure. that, like, uh, it, exactly. It's just that we're not rigorous, right? We're not, like, we don't actually have rigorous axioms to define, like, what get and give mean. But here also, like, happiness is not a zero-sum game, so. Yeah, exactly. It's just very much, like, blandly stated. So. In mathematics, we try very much to avoid statements like that. Okay, we define like specifically what give is, what get is, and we avoid these inconsistencies by relying on axioms. So axioms are things about our universe which seem inherently true, but that we cannot necessarily prove. Are kind of the foundational building blocks. From these axioms, we can derive true statements. So an example of an axiom is a lot of the like properties, like the transitive properties, are axioms, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of the properties are treated as axioms in that, like, as an example, a plus b is equal to b plus a. 
Okay. There's just yeah. something that we know about our universe just through observation that, that holds true, but no one's ever proved it before, right? Okay, so what you're saying here is that the axioms are not proven. No, axioms are not proven. They're true statements, which we seem to think are true just by their very nature, but they aren't proven. What they are used is they're used as the building blocks to provide proofs. So other problems can rely on these axioms and through mathematical equation manipulation, basically, just arrive at an, a conclusion derived from these axioms. Okay. So you need to accept the axioms. Yep. And the one, some of the things, though, like remember the Goldbach conjecture or something. Let's say this was a super important problem in proving other things about the universe, but we weren't able to prove it. And we're very, very confident that it is actually true. Then we can just adopt that as an axiom. Say oh, like, okay. okay, well, like we we generally think this is true, although it's not provable. So let's say it is, and let's call it an axiom. Okay, so that we can build future proofs off of it. So the way this system works is to allow disallow inconsistency by design, really, in that if ever we have a statement and we realize that it's false, like if that axiom really indicated, like the Goldbach conjecture or something that we want to use an axiom, if sometimes it was false, then we shouldn't adopt that as an axiom because then we can start proving anything because it would be a shaky foundation, right. right? Sometimes it would be false, and then you couldn't rely on that for proof. So, so you, you couldn't could... prove everything, but just prove some wrong things. Right, but the thing is that you can manipulate proofs to be right when they're actually wrong, right. if one of your foundational mm -hmm. principles isn't always true. So the principle of explosion. So if like one of your foundational pieces aren't always true, then everything built above it is shaky. Is shaky. Okay. We're, we're talking about is mathematics consistent and is mathematics complete? And so far we've kind of constructed our system in that it is always consistent because if it's not, then we reject that as an axiom. And so Gödel's proof ultimately arrived at the conclusion that a mathematical system is either incomplete or inconsistent at any given time. Oh, interesting. So here, if we decide to be consistent, which we seem to be doing, it means that our base is not uh, complete. Exactly. We can choose the alternate, but we typically don't because we don't want a system in which proofs and rules make no sense, right? Would it be or, useful? Or contradict that every statement could possibly be contradictory in that sense, right? But would it be useful to be complete? Rather than uh, consistent? I would say not particularly, because you would know all the rules, but some of them would contradict with each other. So you wouldn't really know like what the actual truth value of certain statements are, because some of them are contradictory. This generally is a very bad thing, and it kind of undermines all of mathematics. So we make it, we go out of our way to ensure that mathematics is consistent. But what Gödel showed was that at, there, there comes a price to doing this, and that it is incomplete and that we can't possibly derive a proof for all true statements in the universe. All right. So what you asked earlier, like the number, every even number can be represented by... The sum of two primes. Right. So what you're saying here is that maybe it's incomplete and we will never be able to prove it. That's a possibility, yeah. That this, although it seems to be a true thing, we'll never know for sure for all numbers. It's a possibility in that not saying that that's the case for the specific example, but just as an example, it could use could be one which is just not provable, no matter how hard we try. Wow. Okay. So it really does impose a limit on what math can achieve, right? It's like a 
kind of like computational limit to what we can reason about. So how Grill did this is if you assume a consistent math system, he found that it itself cannot prove its own consistency. Sorry, what? So if you have a consistent math system, he found that that system is a set of rules to which have resulting proofs, and that system cannot prove its own consistency, and that it's unable to show that it, in fact, does not have any contradictions in any of its statements. By the fact that it's not able to prove that it's consistent shows that it is, by design, incomplete. Oh. Right, because like if you were able to prove that it was consistent, then it wouldn't be incomplete because you could prove that. Okay, that kind of makes sense. So let's go through the proof. The proof itself is much more complicated, as oh. you saw by the Wikipedia article. But let's we'll dumb it down just so we get the general gist of it. Nice, because yeah, I don't want to <laughs> pass out again. <laughs> so let's assume that every statement about mathematics, whether it's a true or a false statement, but any sentence which equates to a Boolean value is given its own unique number. So if it's a unique state, if it's a unique statement, then it is associated a number, which is very strange, right? Sure, whatever this means. But think about it as like an encoding, right? Like if you type characters in your keyboard, there's an ASCII encoding to some other unique integer, right? Mm -hmm. And now you can reason about different characters in the form of words, and that multiple of them string together have different meanings. And so what Griddle very cleverly did was make a system of mathematics about the system of mathematics so that you can operate on it as numbers. Just as an example of that, like let's say like equality is a number. So we'll say it's a one. And you can say addition is another foundational building block because it's a statement. Like things can be added is a statement. And so whether it's true or false, that concept, you can give it the number two. And then you can move on to uh, different properties like A plus B equals B plus A. And that itself is a different statement and can be associated a different number. Uh, and as you evolve into more and more complex proofs, right? Because you can prove more complex things with these axioms, as I've been describing, those are also statements. So you could also associate them different numbers. So let's grant that. The big sure. assumption is a biggest assumption. But let's grant that as true. Let's also go one final step further and say that in this meta system, which operates on mathematics and rules in mathematics, let's just say that if that a statement is provable, if that statement's number is divisible by all of the axioms that it uses. So like an axiom is a statement, which could have like, pl like plus, like the addition could be a statement, which is an axiom, and it has the number two. And let's say you say a much more complicated statement, like 17 plus 14 equals five divided by whatever the formula is, but like it had, it's a statement, which isn't an axiom, uh, but it's provable if all of the base axioms are true, right? Or if it's based off all the base axioms. And so let's just say in this magical system of ours that every statement is provable if it can be divided by an axiom. And an axiom can be divided by itself. I guess that's a, a weird edge case. But. It sounds like just a random rule. Like, why is this useful? So the actual rule is like simulating an actual set of rules in mathematics, right? With axiom. We're now defining our own, and they're operating on mathematics. So, I mean, it's just kind of an arbitrary system. We have lots of different mathematical systems. Okay, sure. Let's just accept it. 
So I accepted plans. Okay. So just as a reminder, our meta systems statements say that a statement is fruitful if it is divisible by the number of all of our base axioms. Sure. And that, like, you could say it's provable if it uses the base axioms. Okay. Basically TLDR, right? So now the challenge was this statement cannot be proved from the axioms. So this is a statement, right? It has a true or a false value. We don't know what, but it's a Boolean. And it uses every number. Well, it itself has a number because it is a statement and it's a unique statement. So it is a unique number that only it has. Okay. So let's assume that the statement is false. And what that means is the resulting statement is this statement is provable from the axioms. But a provable statement must be true because if you can arrive at it via proof, then it must be true. Okay. And that like, if you can find a proof for something, then it must be consistent, right? So sure. it must be true. So this is a contradiction because the statement said that the statement is provable from the axioms, but we assumed that the original statement was false. Okay, but why do we need all the numbers thing? Uh, the numbers are mostly just a way to construct a mathematical system on top of our existing mathematical system. Just so we can reason about our mathematical system because we're actually trying to prove something about mathematical systems, right? Okay. So just to reiterate, the original statement is, this statement can't be proved from the axioms. If we assume it's false, the statement becomes, it can be proved from the axioms. But if it can be proved, then, then it's, it's true. true. So that's a contradiction, but we're not done yet. So all we know from that is that that original statement, which is this statement can be proved from the axioms, cannot be false. Because if we make it false, then it leads to a contradiction. So this means that the system wouldn't be consistent. It wouldn't be consistent. And so that it remains consistent, the only other option, since it's, a state, since it's a statement with a true or false value, is that this statement must be true if we want to keep it consistent. Right. So in order to keep it consistent, that statement, which is this statement can't be proved from the axioms, must be true. So that means it's a true statement, and we know it because we proved it in the meta system, but in the actual system like of mathematics that we operate on day to day, we know that it can't be proven from within the system, but from a higher layer, we can show that it can be proven. Oh my god. But when you think about that, like, what is a statement that is true, but can't be proven? Like the one you said at the beginning. No. Well, might be true, right? Well, by definition, well, that's the thing. Like, an axiom oh. is, that's the definition, right? It's something we, that is true, but that we can't prove. A lot of people would say, well, okay, well, this statement, why not make that an axiom as part of our system? And everything's fixed, right? Because now, mm -hmm. but the thing is that it's actually like an infinite recursion, because if you add this statement as part of your axioms, you can come up with another statement that is not provable by your base set of axioms. And so that you'll always ar arrive at the same principle. So you would need an infinite amount of axioms. Yeah. So what's, so that's, Effectively it, right? So in order to keep mathematics consistent, it can't be complete. It must be true that you can't prove some. This is madness. I, I cannot believe someone went through all of this <laughs> to prove it's inconsistent. It's mind-blowing. Oh, yeah, right? like it's it's It really defines the foundational limit. And what's super interesting is I learned through researching for this episode that we've sort of identified some actual real-world 
mathematical problems that seem to be to have a very similar structure to the meta system that we introduced and that like they have a lot of the same properties as that original statement which is the statement can't be proved from the axioms mm -hmm. and so we've identified a few actual problems that are formulated in such a way that we think they're true but they're not provable and so like of course we'll never know because they're not provable but we think that there are actually some that we've identified that say like this seems to be similar in nature to one of these statements as Gradel proposed it. So like we have some candidates of being like, this might never actually be solvable because it's similar to this system. Hmm. So what you're saying is that in advance, we cannot necessarily know if something is not provable. Right, and we'll never know, but we seem to think that some attributes of different statements could give us a hint that it might be one of these problems that are not provable. Right. But of course, we'll never be able to prove that. And outside of the mathematical world, does this have implications? I'm glad you brought that up. Oh, wow. Because it has direct implications to what we work on really? every day. So not only does it have implications for like metaphysics and the universe we live in, uh, but more specifically, computer science. Okay. So JS, what's a type system? Oh, I see where you're going. So what, but what is a type system? Okay, so it's a set of rules to prove that your program does something or doesn't do something, not sure. That's exactly right. So it's a program itself, which is a set of rules, a system and a set of rules, which this program is, uh, which determines whether other arbitrary programs has errors or does not have errors, or is valid or is not valid, which are statements, right? Like, is this program valid? Yes or no. And on top of that, all programs are just logic, right? So they're just based off of like first order logic and or not. So this is actually the exact same problem in that we have a system, which is a type system, attempting to enforce rules on statements about the universe, which is various programs that you could write infinitely many of. And uh, some of them we know that we can prove, right? We can definitely say in some cases that this program will not compile. But in other cases, we just possibly couldn't, right? So, so what you're saying is that if our type system is consistent, it won't be complete. Right. So by definition, that means that there are going to be some programs which, while they are functional, while they are valid, a type system could never possibly verify oh, that it is. Wow. So even our beloved Rust cannot solve everything. Exactly. So in Rust, you always they, they always talk about unsoundness. So one thing they're trying to really avoid in Rust programming language is unsoundness. Soundness, when it relates to type system, is proving the absence of errors in our program. So what that means is if the Rust compiler accepts the program, then it does not have any errors. Right. The flip side of that, which is very, very similar, is completeness. So it's proving the presence of an error. So it's, if it's rejected, then there is an error. Okay. But both of those relate to consistency and completeness, right? They're very similar in that if there's no type system that we know of that is guaranteed to be complete, or if there's no mathematical system that's guaranteed to be complete, then there's no type system that's guaranteed to be complete and also sound because it's 
proving the opposite of the same concepts, right? So here, sound is being uh, consistent, right? Yeah, well, they're both similar, right? Comparable. They're very similar because sound is trying to prove the absence of errors and completeness is trying to prove the presence okay. of errors. So it's, they're both relating to the same concept. Sure. And uh, we don't want contradictory responses. Obviously. Um, but that means that we won't ever achieve a state in which it is fully complete mm -hmm. in Rust or in any type system. Interesting. It tells us that we are allowed to give up at some point because it will <laughs> never be perfect. Yeah, but a lot of people think that that's a bit of a depressing truth, right? Because we always thought that like if you keep at it, you'll find a solution to this very difficult problem. Oh, I kind of like it. it. It gives me a reason to stop. Yeah, it's a, a nihilist uh, proof. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's all we had prepared for you today, but this one was, I, I particularly like this one. I think it's very mind-blowing and uh, really like sets, in the most abstract sense, the limit to what you could possibly accomplish at your job <laughs> or in day-to-day -day life. Well, for sure this episode sets the, a higher bar on complexity for our episodes. So I'm sorry if you didn't get anything, but I, I'm still confused of part of it. I think when I'll mix the episode, I'll need to re listen to it uh, many, many times. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. <laughs> I also might have explained it wrong. Let me know um, if I did. But yeah, it's, it's extremely meta, right? So Yeah. Oh, talking about that. So we had our first bot writing to us. Annie tried to prove us that she's not a bot. But obviously, we caught you and we know you're a bot. So nice try. Uh, better chance next time. Take that. <laughs> Annie the bot. All right. So that's it. That's it for today. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back at it. In the next episode, which we don't know what it'll be yet. Maybe. I have one idea. Really? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about it afterward. Okay, sounds good. All right. See you in two weeks. All right, see ya. Bye. You can contact us and find show notes on our website, randomlytyped.com. The intro music is by Vansky. Thank you, Vansky. And thank you, listener, for indulging us.